Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before starting with this week's theme, we wanted to share some prison-related news and announcements. Following protest and litigation, Strawberry Hampton was finally moved to a women's prison in Illinois. We previously reported on Hampton's case after she filed a lawsuit demanding transfer out of a men's facility in which she was demeaned and abused by guards as well as repeatedly sexually assaulted by guards and other prisoners. We're thrilled, says Hampton's lawyers. Strawberry has waited a long time for this transfer. She's been battling for over a year in court to have the Illinois Department of Corrections recognize her as a woman and protect her from the constant abuse and discrimination in men's prisons. This week, we share updates from the border as well as two more illuminating conversations from inside the Brazilian prison system. As we mentioned in last week's Kite Line, contributor Mikol Siegel spent time this fall with students in Sao Paulo, teaching a course on American prison history at the State University. Siegel's academic host introduced her to an activist civil servant at the Secretariat of Penal Administration, who connected her to the members of a work release program. We have two more conversations between Siegel's students and members of this work release program. They were conducted in Portuguese, translated to English by the students in the class, and the translations were then recorded here in our Bloomington studio. In one of these conversations, a prisoner points out that in Brazil, one set of laws and sentences apply to the rich, while a different set applies to the poor. The same could be said of the U.S., particularly after a week in which an eight-year-old Guatemalan child died in U.S. custody, who was only guilty of fleeing with his family from violence and starvation in Guatemala. His name was Felipe Alonso Gomez, and he was bounced between half a dozen different facilities before he died. As we survey these divides between the rich and poor in prison systems across the Western Hemisphere, we'll begin with this account from an ongoing crisis in Tijuana. My name's Luce, and I'm a law student at Emory. I've spent the last two weeks at Baratal, which is the refugee camp in Tijuana, giving people from the caravan advice on asylum claims and talking to them about kind of their journey and their plans. To start with the conditions at Baratal, it's, it's honestly changed just in these two weeks. People are leaving rapidly, and they're deciding to cross in other ways because the system that the U.S. and Mexican government have created of a paper list where people wait for their numbers to be called is horrible, and it's not working. And there's many, many people that have been in Baratal for, for months, and they don't even have a number. They're not even on the list to wait because there's no rides to go to the border. So it's there's a lot of despair and a lot of kind of feelings of being fed up and of um, being of looking for some other way to make it to the U.S. A lot of people have been deported back to at least 2,000 people have been deported back to Honduras or El Salvador. There's also a lot of violence against the people in the caravan, and there have been two teenage boys who were, were killed recently. Three of them were kind of lured out of one of these shelters and 
and two of them were killed. And there's been other incidents, like tear gas has been thrown into Baratzal. Um, it hit a woman in the head, and she was hospitalized. And the next day, a bunch of children were complaining of respiratory problems. Um, and and people inside also talk about these. Those are the kind of things that are on the news. But people inside are also talking a lot about um, gangs and drug traffickers and gangs coming in, climbing over the walls of the shelter at night, coming in and try and selling a lot of drugs. People have died of overdoses already, and obviously, I didn't experience a lot of drug use there, but it's because of the kind of contained population and the hopeless situation. It's ripe ground as a kind of strategy to delegitimize the caravan, um, to push drugs in. Um, so the conditions are really bad, and people are 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 feeling unable to to live there a 15 year old boy that i was talking to said he feels like a prisoner he said i have my yeah like maybe i have some of my material needs met i got food i have water but this is unbearable this isn't a life this isn't what i came for and and i'm gonna figure out some other way so baratal is about 35 maybe 40 minutes outside of tijuana and this is kind of, to me, one of the defining factors of it because it feels very isolated from resources. Um, even even getting volunteers down there is difficult. There was multiple days where me and my friend were the only people um, that weren't government agencies like the UN or something um, there. And it's just because it's really hard. It's hard to get to their restricting access to volunteers. But when you do get there... It's it's extremely militarized. It's kind of um, there's the Mexican Federal Police outside, there's the Army, there's the Marines, and then there's Grupos Beta, which is Mexican Immigration Police. And they're everywhere, standing with huge guns, lining all the entrances and exits. They are like who lines people up to have meals and stuff. And um, so it feels extremely, extremely militarized. And we've talked to people about whether what they think about about that situation and they were like yeah well clearly we think that they're the ones letting in in these drugs they're they're turning a blind eye they I don't feel any safer because of them um and then so once you come once you actually walk in you have to go through this whole process of approval which is doesn't really vet anyone it just makes you wait some time um and once you get in, everyone's sleeping in, in camping tents. It's very lively and, like, you know, everyone's playing soccer, balls are flying, and the kids are out and stuff. But then also, so you, you walk through, and that's kind of the the men's area. And once you get to the back is where the women and children are sleeping and the families. And that's inside Barnetal, which is actually... What the structure itself used to be a massive nightclub in Tijuana. It feels very dystopic to kind of walk in there and see these huge Tecate signs and there's bars and what the, the kind of skeleton of a, of a nightclub and DJ booths and stuff, but it's, it's young children sleeping in there and playing. So that's kind of everyone's situation and there's different volunteer groups that do meals. Um, there is free movement in and out of the camp, 
until something like maybe after 9 p.m. There's some restrictions, but unaccompanied minors, who are a lot of the population that I've been working with, is unaccompanied minors, and they aren't exactly allowed to leave the camp, or at least they are very much at risk of being deported immediately by um, Grupos Beta if they're seen outside of the camp. So they are a lot of the population that's feeling like this is this is totally un- unlivable. They're te- like mostly teenage boys who came here and are 15. So I'm, I'm very sick right now, and part of that is, is because they're really not good, really poor hygiene conditions. There's kind of overflowing trash all of the time. There is um, porta-potties for everyone, for thousands of people to use, but they're not cleaned often enough. And there's no running water, so people aren't washing their hands. There's, you know, these big things of hand sanitizers sometimes that are going around, but everyone's getting sick. I mean, there's just the worst um, flu going through that camp. Um, and... I think the food is is somewhat decent, um, or as people have described it as being um, decent, and it's put on by World Kitchen or some, some kind of nonprofit from California. But I would say the hygiene is a huge issue, and people feel like the conditions of living are really undignified, and and um, that's that's part of the the urgency around the situation. I think it was roughly a week ago um, that three young boys from the caravan were um, lured out of a shelter. And the news that we got was that it was a, a person from Mexico who had who had kind of orchestrated this kidnapping of sorts where he told there was either he had hired some women or something to lure them out and that they were actually, like, tortured and killed. And one of them was able to make it back and did not die. But two of them did, and they were strangled and stabbed to death. And and I believe that they were also unaccompanied minors, which is really, really tragic. But the group, the Alocholado, is the volunteer organization that I was working with. And they had been working with them closely, these boys, to to try to find some kind of safe housing situation because there's really targeted violence against these youth. Um, and a lot of them say they don't feel safe inside of the camps and they don't, nor do they feel safe outside of them. Chego desse jeito, não respeito. Hip hop é o que tá tendo. Pela quebra, não me vendo. Sou da rua, mostra mesmo. Vou rimando no veneno. Vou sem grana, cheguei reino. E na gana, eu que vejo. Um pai, eu fumei no tempo. Agora canta no Hi, my name is Telmo. I'm 30 years old. Currently, I find myself incarcerated in a prison in Brazil in the work release program. And I'm a part of this social education group. Hello, my name is Pedro. I am 22 years old. And I'm a student from the University of Sao Paulo. We are here today to debate art and prison. What would be the role of the artistic and cultural production, be it a painting, sculpture, text, or an exhibition visit, in the life of a prisoner or a former prisoner? We hope to provide some useful and thought-provoking ideas with regard to the theme, and that the experience and voices of Brazilians will be heard.
The discussion's starting point concerns the importance of art and life, more specifically, in the life of a prisoner. Let's start with a quote from Dead Poets Society. We don't read and write poetry because it's cute. We read and write poetry because we are members of the human race, and the human race is filled with passion. And medicine, law, business, engineering, these are noble pursuits that sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, love, these are why we stay alive. Starting with this idea, what would the influence of art and culture be in prison life? So, Thelmo, what might you add about this experience when we talk about culture as knowledge? Or maybe, how can we use art? What is its role in prison? Art has an important role beyond entertaining people. It serves to help them to perceive jail, let's put it that way. And art is not only that. Art is a way to see the world with different eyes. Were there visits to a museum, visits to an exhibition? Yeah, that was in Florianopolis, in Santa Catarina. They went to the Victor Moraes Museum, an initiative of the work release program there. A person took the work release prisoners to visit museums, to be acquainted with Southern culture and with the works of the great author from that state, Victor Moraes. How was the experience, the feeling? I guess that it could be introduced in Sao Paulo because, as it succeeded in Florianopolis, there would be no reason for it to fail here. It would let a person in prison see the world from a new perspective, perhaps a person who had never had the chance to encounter this kind of artwork before. To have contact with this sort of production, right? Sometimes it could be a path for new experiences, you know, so a person could become even better. So the people who went, they were in the work release program? In the work release program. Was it during the weekend? It was during the week. Listen, it was like the meetings we were having right now, social educative ones. During the week, some people would organize the means of transportation, and they would be taken to the museum. Concerning the cultural forum, in this forum, Estevao was thinking about ways to introduce more art, more culture itself, in the incarceration environment. And there, they gave us several options like the ones I told you about. Sewing, sport, not as sport, but as culture, since it is Brazilian culture. What sports? Soccer, capoeira? That's right. In every way, everywhere. And how would it help? Well, there is a recent survey. Some research showing that in every poor community that had a social project like this, there was a decrease of almost 70% in the crime rate. The rates dropped by 70%? Right. In the areas where it was established, socially marginalized kids would not have so much involvement with crime. And art was one of the ways to initiate the project. Dance, sport. So are there places reserved for this sport practice? Maybe for dance inside the prison? There are not, but there is a project about to be launched, I believe. Like, we have the sports courts for soccer. But for dance, nobody has initiative towards this. There is a social project already established that's called Diversity at the Table, It would be cooking classes for trans people. Until that point, there hadn't been a social project involving trans women. Now, we'd have social projects and not manual labor, since they would fit well in these forms of work. This project earned much high praise. And before that, in relation to this sort of project, or even sewing, could they be used as a way to reduce their sentence or to earn income? Yes, they could. It would be more like a professional training course. Every class hour spent would be deducted from their sentence hours. That's an incentive. If one conducts deeper research, they'll see that people in prison probably won't take part in any program if there are no incentives. Since there are some, we have a time cut, lots of prisoners go. That's why so many go, in fact, not for the learning process, but for the time cut. But there is already a cultural aspect to that. 
If the child had received a better education, maybe it would have gone better for them. Both during but mainly before incarceration, one could use art as a tool to avoid criminalization or going to jail. Maybe it would have helped not only the person's income, but also served as a tool to help escape from that environment where she finds herself, to break free. Yes. Art is, let's put it this way, an occupational therapy. And it's not only that, it's a way to make a living. It's possible for someone to learn a profession through art, to occupy their mind. The fact that a person dedicated possibly time, energy, and effort towards something productive, it takes from her the opportunity of devoting herself to a criminal activity, or at least of being in a place where this chance might arise. I guess that everybody, I believe that all of us, we see that, but there are no means to establish it or incentivize it. But it's a beginning, a starting point. When one talks about investing in education, but not only in education per se, investing more in our culture because Brazilians don't have the habit of visiting movie theaters, museums, works of art. If we go back even further, investing in a way to insert art into our culture. Let me ask you something then. Have you known people who showed some artistic aspiration, who wanted to pursue those interests, and who discovered this vocation while in prison? Yes, I did. I met several such people. I've been in jail for a year, a year and two months. In this time, I've met at least five good artists like that, people who drew really well. Three out of five were tattoo artists. How cool. And there are more. They just need to be found. I think that the fact that a person is incarcerated doesn't mean that she or he has no capacity to create something that beautiful. There are many artists in prison the same way there are many lawyers, many doctors. I do believe art is a form to keep their minds busy. Some people lose their meaning in the penitentiary system. They go crazy. Let's put it this way. They go insane because they keep thinking a lot about freedom, about what they did, and they don't put their minds to something. They're driven mad by that. But these guys you met, the artists, three were tattoo artists. What about the other two? They were straight-up drawers. They would design visit cards, cards for Children's Day. They drew really well and have found a way to survive in jail through their art. Is there an economy of sorts in which they were able to use their art as a token for trade? Yes. A well-drawn letter, a well-written handwriting, a visit card, a work of art for Kids' Day, for Mother's or for Father's Day. Everything in prison is currency. Everything is sold. Everything is a way to survive inside the prison system. Crochet, for example, is a manner nowadays for both men and women, especially for men now, to create some income inside the prison, beyond the labor in the outside. There are many men who actually sew. They produce crochet objects and rugs. It reduces recidivism. It's well-respected as work, and it's a way for people to survive, to provide for their families. Some inmates sell rugs for 200, 300 reis, about 50 to 75 US dollars. They're able to support their families outside the complex from the inside, thanks to their sewing. That with the money from inside the prison, nice. Unfortunately, our time is running short, and our interview reaches its end. But once more, I'd like to thank you, Thelmo, for your time and effort. I do appreciate I'd like to help more. I'd like to. Seriously, your voice was heard, and that's what matters. I think that this should be more discussed, not only in prisons, but also outside. They should involve more culture and art. There should be a social project that includes political means, someone trained to do this. This kind of production of practical knowledge, of experience in people's lives... I mean, there should be a way to reshape our culture, Brazil's culture itself, to reestablish it from an early age. Parents should take and motivate their kids to go to the movies. 
well, not to the movies that much, but to a theatrical play. If it were changed starting from this point, I think it would make a big difference down the road. Infelizmente, nosso tempo é curto. Nossa entrevista chega ao fim, mas mais uma vez, And now we have the next interview from the Brazilian work release program. This time, it's between Guido, Leila, and Regiana. Qual é a sua opinião em relação à prisão dos, dos políticos? Será que iremos continuar perdendo? Do you feel inequality is an important current dynamic? Yes, absolutely. You just have to look around. In this society in general, some people have houses while others do not. Some are hungry, others aren't. So inequality is all around us every day. That's what I feel. Well, about inequality, what I can talk about is my own condition, right? Where I am right now is just one of many examples of what happens in our country, right? That's how the power of money works, right? What people call capitalism. That's how it is. People with resources don't get locked up. And money corrupts people. Nobody wealthy goes into the system. They don't even get arrested. They go on their way. How have you experienced inequality? If you like, give an example. We suffer every day. Since I come from poverty, I suffer every day. If you're wearing sandals and someone else is wearing sneakers, that person's going to be more valued. Always. But that's just how society makes people be. People who have lower incomes, who live in poor neighborhoods, they can't buy a car. Who has to use public transportation, the metro, that's how it is. I've had to live like that. In shopping centers and markets, people look at me and assume things just based on the clothes I'm wearing. They judge me by my clothing. I've suffered through that. Society, unfortunately, is very racist about appearances because, in my opinion, it's racism when you look at another person and judge what they can or cannot be. What is your view of the arrests of the politicians? I think that the problem in Brazil is when politicians don't want to give in or lose. They just want to profit from our misery. If someone is hungry and steals a cracker, they'll be in jail for a long time. Politicians steal from thousands of people, millions, and they won't go to prison. For our politicians and good people, that's normal. They can even appear on TV. Everyone says, oh yeah, he just got arrested, but it's different. There's a difference between the president's or the businessman's prison and that of a poor person. They're barely in jail. They're living with just as much luxury as when they were stealing our money. And above everything else, inflation continues of everything. So who loses is always the poor. We lose. They never do. They don't lose. They don't have food like ours. They don't have a schedule like ours, a time to be outside, a time to be locked in. Food, which is terrible. The visit, we barely have any time to be with our families. They can have visitors every day. So there is no punishment for those who steal millions in a minute. That's our politicians. Only for us. I want to speak to this question of politicians. I think we lose a lot. I think that we lose in terms of education because it is so low quality. Sometimes when we want to improve our living conditions, maybe we want our kids to be able to go to private school, but we can't because of our financial situation. Because even though schools in Brazil are supposedly public, there are all kinds of expenses involved, and our salaries can't cover them. And about politicians being arrested, they already committed crimes based on the law. Just my opinion, they are the power. Our laws are really old. For them, everything is flexible. So they do what they do, and that punishment for them can be adapted, you know. They can have house arrest, other privileges that poor people can't, you see? Because politicians, we know, they're businessmen. We know, as father, son, grandson, they continue the family within politics. And those who don't have, they corrupt them, and they implant themselves there. They know what they're doing. 
They know society can't be allowed to have good education because you can't fool people who know the situation. If you know what you're doing, no one can tell you otherwise. You're destined to do that. So you will do everything possible to avoid the errors you know you need to avoid. I know there's no perfect crime, but they managed to trick us with that. And with that, we lose. Society loses, our country, so rich and so full of solidarity, they corrupt. Do you think a public hospital or school offers the same as a private one? Absolutely not. I mean, in public school, many people who study there and are motivated and achieve a lot, who get a lot out of the education, you know? I'm not going to say that public schools are all bad, but there's a difference in the conditions therein. Just to start with the money the teachers make. A teacher in a private school earns a much better salary than a teacher in a public one. And so he has much more of an incentive to teach, right? He's going to have better resources, textbooks, lab materials. He's going to be able to do more things, teach other things. In the public school, the salary, it's bad. The public schools are practically abandoned. Public school teachers, they complain. And I don't think it's only about their salaries. I really think it's for the students, because for public school teachers, it's a labor of love. I don't know a single public school teacher who doesn't love what they do. And in public schools, they complain. And when they have strikes, it's the public who loses. Whereas in private schools, that never happens. They never strike. That's it for me. The difference between public and private school is a difference of earning power on the part of the parents. In health in Brazil today, it's not worth saying much. If you go to a public hospital, you'll wait two or three hours to be seen. I've seen cases on TV of patients dying while waiting to be seen. Waiting. It's the same everywhere, including in prison, because if you've seen tuberculosis or something like that, in prison there's no structure for healthcare. I've seen lots of my friends die because they couldn't go to the hospital because they didn't have a police escort to get them there. One friend managed to get out of the prison, but before she got to the hospital, she died. So healthcare in general, in or out of prison, is terrible. And further, they don't have to give the needed healthcare to women who have greater needs. There's no gynecologist in prison. The most we get is a vaccine, which we take, but other than that, nothing. It's really scarce, and we need it. Plus, the food is terrible, the water is bad, and we get a pap smear only when we're lucky. So it's clear there is a serious inequality there, because I'll talk about a politician, Bolsonaro, very prejudiced, who was stabbed with a knife and super rapid, really fast in the hospital. He got care, got his own rooms, everything. And this is a guy who's terribly prejudiced, really biased, especially against women. Now, if it had been me who had taken that stabbing, I would have died right there. And even more, he's super prejudiced against gays, against trans people. And I think people should think a little harder about this. They should think of others as they think of themselves, not because I have a sexuality outside of the norm, but because people who are different should try to understand each other, respect the choices we make. You have to be conscious, respect other people, accept them all, all equal. What do you think would fix this inequality? I believe that we need to humanize people, feel what the other feels, because if you don't realize their problems, none of this will ever change. There must be some kind of struggle. I think that people need to understand that the only one who has real power is God. People need to put others into their hearts and think about the other. Not just think about their own belly, whether it is full. Think and try to understand the other. And another priority is jobs and better education. Jobs and education to pick up Brazil. And that God will give us a good president, someone who thinks about improvement. 
I think it's really important that society thinks really hard about who they're going to choose to guide our lives. I think a president needs to like human beings, and I think that right now that's something that's missing. This has been KiteLine. Anyone can reach us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. We also encourage your feedback. You can email us at kiteline at wfhb.org. Are you or someone you care about affected by the prison system? You can call us to tell your story or to record a message to a loved one behind bars at 812-269-2512. You can follow us on all social media platforms by searching for KiteLine Radio or find us on iTunes. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. WFHB, its contributors, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions shared on the show. Please join us every Friday at 5.30 p.m. for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our community. Thank you for listening.